0: this is a statistic that really caught my eye this week the un has reported that the war in ukraine could push up to 49 million people around the world into famine or famine-like conditions because of the devastating impact it's having on global food supply and prices of course the war is being felt far beyond its borders perhaps no more so by those who suffer already from food insecurity the problem is Russia's blockade of Ukraine's ports. Uh, It's left the global food market on the edge of collapse, moving again towards catastrophic global hunger if it's not stopped. Um, How do you stop it? What can be done? That's a question we're going to put to Michael Peterson. He's the director of Russia Maritime Studies at the U.S. Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island. Thank you so much for your time tonight.
1: Thank you for inviting me on.
0: Now, this is a topic that we've been talking a lot about uh, in recent uh, in recent weeks. Obviously, this blockade is having an impact around the world because of Ukraine's obvious importance uh, when it comes uh, to its breadbasket status. Um, what exactly has happened in these first hundred or plus days of the war in the Black Sea that has created this this situation whereby Ukrainian exports are just not leaving port?
1: Well, very early on in the war, uh, the Russian Navy sortied out into the Northwest Black Sea and into the Sea of Azov, which is on the uh, eastern side of the Crimean Peninsula, occupied Crimea, and kind of in, uh, call it southeastern Ukraine. So um, the, the sort of maritime borders of southwestern and southeastern Ukraine have been blockaded by the Russian Navy since the start of the war. Um, and very early on in the war, the Russian Navy also um uh, destroyed most of the Ukrainian Navy and most of Ukraine's ability to fight war at sea but for a few uh, drone operations and some other uh, some other uh, coastal defense systems so uh, Russia essentially has dominated the maritime environment with a couple of uh, exceptions here and there most most especially the Moskva sinking uh, that most of your listeners probably know about Uh But Russia, by and large, has dominated the maritime environment, and that has allowed them to pretty effectively impose an economic blockade on uh, Ukrainian imports and exports. So all commercial vessels attempting to come in and out of Ukrainian ports right now are unable to do so. In fact, Uh, Russia uh, fired on a couple of commercial vessels that were attempting uh, to leave Ukrainian ports uh, very early on in the war. So uh, the the Russian Navy has demonstrated that it is um, uh, capable and determined to impose, um, if necessary, a long term economic blockade. On Ukraine. And that blockade is not unlike, I would say, uh, a good historical example might be uh, the uh, United States uh, Civil War, when the Union Navy blockaded the uh, Confederacy as a way to impose an ec- a long term economic stranglehold um, and, and, and sort of crush its economic ability to make war.
0: Given that this is clearly deliberate strategy on the part of Russia, um, what would be an effective way then? And I don't imagine there are some options here, uh, but what would be an effective way to try to end the blockade to allow these much-needed Ukrainian exports to at least uh, leave port and reach destinations around the world who depend on these exports uh, for food? Really, I mean, at the end of the day, this is about uh, about global uh, global hunger.
1: Yes, uh, and it's an it's an extraordinarily important and difficult problem because not only is it about. Uh, ending, uh, making sure that uh, people around the world have, have access to food, uh, which is the most critical thing. But there is also an issue here of military escalation management and risk and a widening of war that nobody wants. Um, so there are lots of challenges in place here. Um, I think that you know one of the most common things you hear uh, from commentators is this idea that um, we need to just start uh counter blockade or blockade running by escort and using military vessels to escort grain ships in and out of the Black Sea, where there are all kinds of complications to that. There are legal complications and military complications, not to mention uh, the tremendous risk of having, say, uh, NATO or U.S. vessels Escorting these ships uh, without Russian permission. Now, that is an option. That is certainly an option. That is the highest risk option. Uh, But there are other ones out there. Most especially, uh, there seems to be a deal that is forming between Turkey and Russia whereby uh, Turkey will clear out uh, the uh, mines that uh, Ukraine laid uh, in defense of the port of Odessa. um, And Russia will guarantee uh, safe passage for uh, uh, grain ships that are going in and out of uh ukrainian ports now i'm pretty suspect of that deal and maybe we can talk about that here but um you know be that as it may that is another option that exists and it's one that seems to have some legs at least between turkey and russia the ukrainians are suspicious of it and i think probably the united states is as well though i'm not speaking for the u.s government here i'm just speaking for myself in a personal capacity um I would suspect that the US government would be pretty suspicious of that as well. And then finally, there are, is a, uh, the option for a more, call it, uh, multilateral operation, something that is led I say, the UN. And the UN would guarantee um, the safe passage of those ships in and out of, uh, of uh, Ukrainian ports. And if Turkey wants to take the lead on that, the operational lead on that, I think that's good and appropriate. Um, but uh, the UN uh, option is a good one, because it is it, it signifies a global effort. Uh, now, of course, individual nations will contribute militarily as they as they must to that. Uh, but it would signify a more unified global effort. And I think that one uh, probably bears the most promise, uh, but is not necessarily the deal that is going to be uh, in place the, the quickest.
0: I guess Lithuania has proposed this so-called coalition of the willing, right, which was uh, something that we saw. I've also read recently that there is this push now to provide Ukraine with more weapons on shore uh, that could, in fact, intimidate the Russian Navy or at least prevent the Russian Navy from preventing its ships from leaving port. Is that is that an option?
1: Uh, yes, it is. But that's a really limited option. The problem with um, relying exclusively on ground-based weapon systems is that they are generally range limited. Um, for the most part, they can't uh, shoot out beyond 60 or 80 nautical miles uh, from uh, from shore. That's roughly about 65 to 90 uh, 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 statu- uh, statutory miles. Um, statute miles, sorry. Um, But, uh, you know, it's it's the sort of thing that um, is effective inshore in the littoral regions, but is not effective when those ships get farther out away from shore. The um, the the problem here is that Russia has a track record of um, of hindering the free passage of Ukrainian um, ships at sea farther away from Ukrainian shores. And Ukraine is not in a position to do anything about that. Now, certainly. Uh, They can deter Russian ships from um, um, from operating too close to Ukrainian shores. And they have the Moskva sinking was a demonstration of their ability to do that. Uh, On the other hand, that ability is limited to that to that sort of narrow geographic space. that's just offshore. So it's a partial solution, but not a full solution to this very thorny problem.
0: I'm speaking with Michael Peterson. He's the director of Russia Maritime Studies at the U.S. Naval War College. He's speaking to us tonight from Newport in Rhode Island. We're talking about this blockade of Ukrainian ports, which is now having uh, an escalating effect on many things around the world, but specifically the export of grain. Uh, Ukraine often referred to as the breadbasket uh, of Europe and uh, many countries, including particularly in the Middle East and North Africa, rely on Ukrainian uh, exports to or imports of Ukrainian grain to feed their people. We're seeing this global hunger increase. It's going to get worse. And of course, the pressure is on now to try to find solutions to end this blockade. There are many options on the table. None of them appear to be particularly good. Uh, When we come back, we'll talk a bit more just about the time pressure here and what a, a solution in the short term might look like if there is one. We'll be back with that. I'm speaking with Michael Peterson he's the director of Russia maritime studies at the u.s Naval War College we've been talking about Russia's blockade of Ukrainian ports which is preventing uh, Ukraine from exporting at least exporting in great volume uh, the grain that a lot of the world is reliant on uh, to feed itself uh, and just what can be done about it clearly this is strategic on Russia's part uh, but there also for the time being has been very little challenge to it as far as one can tell there's been very little uh, scaling up of the rhetoric uh, on behalf of NATO and so forth so uh, if we understand that there are some real Really, really severe time limits here. I mean, We're talking about planting seasons in Ukraine, grain rotting uh, in port without being able to get out, uh, the rail system not able to move a lot of it in, in, in great quantity. Uh, what would a short term solution look like that doesn't involve, for instance, relaxing shank- sanctions on Russia?
1: Well, you, that's a great question. And you raise a, a critical point embedded in that question. One of the, one of the basic things that Russia is demanding in return for, uh, easing the flow of, uh, grain out of Ukraine is, uh, lifting of, of various sanctions on Russia itself. Uh, so that's a, that's a critical problem that we'll need to address and is, and is going to be a really difficult one, um, that's going to take time. Now, in the short term, um, we can generally look at uh, previous mine clearing operations. Let's assume that uh, there is a deal that gets struck between Turkey and Russia to, for Turkey to clear out mines um, in the vicinity of Odessa to begin uh, the transit of ships in and out of the port there. Um, now, in the short term, we can look at sort of historical examples and a good one is uh, the 1991 Gulf war. And in 1991, um, it's, it, there, it took about five uh, months of permissive operations to fully clear out all those minefields, right? So what do I mean by permissive operations? I mean um, operations that were not opposed by the Iraqis. So let's assume that um, those operations are not opposed by, uh, by the Russians. Um, and we can we can pretty safely assume that if they're if they're willing to, to go with this deal. Um, it took about five months for for over 30 mine clearing ships and the associated support vessels um, uh, that work with them to clear out those waters off of Kuwait. Um, and 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 um, allied planners had the Iraqi minefield chart. So that took five months to clear out all those mines. Um, interestingly, after about nine days, though, they were able to clear a single route. That would allow a single ship escorted by a mine clearing vessel to get out of port and um, export oil. So the same might be true in this case. The challenge there, of course, is that it's one cargo ship escorted by one mine clearing vessel moving at a very slow speed, very sort of carefully picking its way through um, what they hope is a cleared passage through that minefield. Um, it's very difficult to say. That's really just throwing a lifeline um, to Ukraine here it's just it's it keeps things on life support economically for Ukraine and it begins that free flow of goods but it's nothing like addressing the larger problem in order for this thing to really be addressed um, significantly in the long term we're looking at possibly five to six months in fact the government of Ukraine itself says it will take six months to clear out all those mines
0: because Ukraine has mined near port in odessa and of course the russians we believe have mined further out right that's the uh, so there's a lot out there correct that's exactly um, right is this is this a position whereby i mean and you've talked about this in your writing whereby you don't know what what, it, what an opponent's going to do until the other opponent reacts is there not a possibility here where nato could up the stakes to a point where russia cannot respond i mean is the are they in a situation now where they can't afford an escalation and we just have to call the bluff
1: That's a very good question. Uh, And I think that there are uh, a lot of factors involved with that. When you're talking about the sort of Black Sea region, the critical player here, in addition to Russia and Ukraine, of course, is, as I've mentioned before, Turkey. the, the Turkey is in charge of something called the Montreux Convention and the Montreux Convention is an international agreement whereby Turkey is allowed to place limits on the number uh, on the tonnage of warships that can transit in and out of the Black Sea if they are a non-Black Sea state. So if we're talking about France or the UK or the United States or Canada, for that matter, um, there are very strict limits that Turkey abides by um, uh, uh, that um that other nations are limited um, to um, um, putting warships in the Black Sea. Turkey enforces that. Um, And that's that's international law. It's widely recognized by um, um, virtually every country around the world. Um, So at the local level, Turkey is the key player here. And there aren't very many. It's not it has shown no indications that it's willing to uh, broach the Montreux Convention and allow more NATO warships into um, into the Black Sea than exceeds tonnage limits on by individual countries. So that's going to be a real challenge. Right. Um, of course, you can fly in uh, military hardware and sort of call the Russians bluff, if that's what you want to call it. Um, but that's that also has certain limitations. Um, On the other hand, I'm really wary of directly challenging Russia. Now, Russia, the Russian military certainly is weakened. On the other hand, um, many of the uh, pieces of military hardware, the military capability that Russia has um, that they would use to fight, say, NATO countries is uh, in in is a, is in perfectly good fighting shape. They have not suffered a whole lot of attrition um on those key weapon systems that they would need um to impose uh, wartime cost on NATO. I'm talking about nuclear powered cruise missile shooting submarines and um significant uh numbers of warships, significant numbers of of, of uh bombers and long range bombers and so forth. Um and then, of course um have plenty of artillery systems that are left. So there are lots of real questions to this. Um, can NATO call Russia's bluff? Um, possibly. Can NATO um exercise military options that Russia uh uh thinks are too um uh, imposed to would, would impose too much cost on itself? Maybe, but that's running an awful lot of risk here. And it may come to that. Um but I'm optimistic for a diplomatic solution instead.
0: Michael Peterson, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for having me.